Thank you, Jeremy, for the prayer. Uh, thanks to the leadership here at Excelsior Springs for uh, hosting this meeting and doing all the planning. And as well as the members for executing the plan that was laid out. You can put together a good plan, but if you don't have people that are willing to work, then it doesn't mean much. So for all of us that just sit back and enjoyed it, thank you. We, I really enjoyed the meal. I enjoyed the lessons. And we hope we have something today that is uh, edifying to you, encouraging to you. I want to wax sentimental here with, I don't know if this is relevant to the lesson or not, but it wouldn't be the first time I've said something that wasn't relevant, probably. But. So, you know, I, back in the early 1980s, I didn't know where Excelsior Springs was at. Couldn't have found it on a map. We were camping at Eminence, and the guy next to us introduced myself, and he introduced him. He says he's from Excelsior Springs, probably the first time I'd ever, I'd ever heard of it. It was Nelson and, and Genevieve Owens. Sometime later, we, we met here, probably in the late 80s, walked across the street, and Ate there at the Mill Cafe. I still it's still open. We ate with the, the McClungs, Daryl and Christina, which turned out their son was a roommate of our son in Kansas City. So there was another another tie that developed. Shannon Techmeyer Wilson became a member here. Back when we were taking our kids to meeting, it seemed every meeting we went to, Shannon was there, and I don't know why, it just seemed that we, Vonna and I, hit up with a friendship with her, probably because she was friendly and we looked like we needed friends. <laughs> but ever, ever since then, it's just that when she sees us, we're just like family. So we had, a, we had another tie there. Cassandra and I played basketball together on the same team in 95-degree weather in Emnitz. And as I recall it, we won. <laughs> yeah. Jim McClung and I took a hike through some of the tallest itch weeds you've ever seen in your life. So I've, our families have, my family has crossed paths with lots of the members of Excelsior Springs, whether I've been here or not. You have one of our former members, and Sam Woody, as a member of your group now. But maybe the best story was we were in Jackson Hole, Jackson Hole, Wyoming, on a hike on the side of a mountain, and picturesque place. And I asked this guy to, I think he asked me, would we take their picture? And yeah, so you know how it is. Where are you from? Where are you from? I said, I'm from St. Louis. He says, I'm from Kansas City. I said, I'm not really from St. Louis, I'm on the Illinois side. He goes, I'm not really from Kansas City. I'm from he goes, I'm from Excelsior Springs. I said, I know people in Excelsior Springs. Well, how do you know people in Excelsior Springs if you're from Illinois? I said, well, it's church-related. Who do you know? I said, well, I know Andy Houseworth. Oh, he says, I painted the church building. I think, I don't remember his name, Andy. You might remember his name, but... It just seems like over the last 20 or 30 years, the Excelsior Springs people or occasions have came my way. 
Today's lesson is not necessarily about Excelsior Springs, but it is the idea of what has brought us all together is our common belief in Jesus Christ. And I forgot to mention that Ray and Bessie spent a month in St. Louis back in the late 80s, and, and they were in our house at least on one occasion, and maybe more than one occasion. Uh, I remember they had the cutest little granddaughters with them on those, that occasion. So just lots of ties with this congregation, although I haven't been in the assembly with you lots of times. Today's lesson deals with arming the family with faith. Everything I've mentioned up to this point really surrounded the idea of families. Wade said yesterday in closing, I don't want to steal Dave's thunder, and then he proceeded to do the very thing he said he did not want to do. <laughs> so for those of you who were not here yesterday, you're going to hear something new to you, but if you were here yesterday, it's very similar. But we make no apologies for that because Wade and I are using the same book, so our lessons could be very similar. His was Defending the Family. And uh, we're not talking about defending the family, but we're talking about arming the family. So we're going to have some of the same verses. And uh, even some of the things that Marty said this morning are very similar to what I have to offer to you. The verses that were suggested for me to start with are Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Or if you're using the King James, the nurture and admonition instead of discipline and instruction. And then Colossians 3 and 21, fathers, provoke not your children anger, but lest they be discouraged. It must have been a concern in the early church that, that fathers in particular were being too harsh with their children. I don't know that that's necessarily the case in our current generation, but it's still proper advice. But I would say the tide is turned, and maybe uh, some parents, I don't know if you are or not, or maybe not attentive enough to the discipline of their children. That's probably all I want to say on provoke, because I want to spend most of the time on the positive side of what we should be doing as parents in, in the home. First, there's two sections of this talk. First deals with the idea of faith, some of the things that you know. It's an old lesson from an old man, from an old book. But these are things that must be important to people because they keep coming up as suggested topics. So what do we know about faith? Hebrews 11 and 6, if you don't have faith, it is impossible to please God. Impossible to please God if you do not have faith. We see from the scripture that faith takes on different shapes and different forms. You can be weak in faith, Romans chapter 14, verse 1. You could be strong in the faith, as Abraham was mentioned in Romans chapter 4 and verse 20. You can have a little faith, Luke 12 and 28. Or you could be like the centurion in Luke chapter 7, who was said of him, he had great faith. The apostles asked Jesus to increase their faith, which shows us that faith is able to grow. It was said about Stephen that he was full of faith. The book, the book of James, when comparing a temporal condition to a spiritual condition, that they were poor, but they were rich in faith. The letter to the church at Thessalonica said that your faith has grown, so our faith is able to grow. 1 Timothy says that we can cast our faith off, and 1 Timothy also says we can depart from the faith. So really the angle we're going today is, so how does one go from being weak in faith 
to being strong in faith? How do we arm people to be strong in the faith? Let me give you an example from the human body. Marty might have touched on some of this. So faith, if you compare it to the human body, to make a temporal comparison, faith is, can be like muscles. To build muscle in the body, here's what they would recommend. And I'm about like Marty. I don't know much about it other than what I read. But here's what they would say if you wanted to turn into a big strong guy physically. You need to eat often. They recommend five to six times a day. Not like the meal we had today, but nice smaller portions. And they recommend that you drink plenty of liquids and that you exercise regularly. That's just a real high level of how you could build muscle. You eat, you drink, you exercise, the other thing you do is rest. Spiritually speaking, what do we need, what do we need to do to build, faith, to build faith? You need to eat regularly. If you could read the Bible five to six times a day, that would be eating well. You need to drink of the living water. Just as the body needs actual water, our body needs the living water that Jesus spoke of. And then you need to exercise. You need to live what you have been reading about. There's a brother in a neighboring state since July of 2015 to right now has lost 50 pounds. Not by trying to, but let me tell you how he lost it. So prior to July of 15, he had been going to the gym on a regular basis, four to five times a week. He had no girlfriend, and that was his activity, building his body up. He was a good physical-looking specimen. He met a girl it wasn't in the same state, started dating her, and long story short, they got married. He quit going to the gym, started paying more attention to his wife. He had a family to take care of now. The muscle that he had built up over a period of time was gone because he didn't use it. And that's not a bad thing. I'm not saying that. But if we compare that spiritually, if you have faith, you build that faith up, but you don't keep using that muscle, you lose it. So faith is possible to lose. Just because you had it once, just because you were on fire once, or you're on fire now, there's no guarantee that you're going to keep being like that if you just abandon it or you try just to go away from it. You quit exercising. Romans 10 and 17 has been mentioned at for sure, in three previous lessons this weekend, it's how we acquire faith, by hearing the word of God. But the other component of building up faith is also a verse that was mentioned by Marty this morning, James chapter 1, verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So we hear the word. Somebody, somebody said about Church of Christ people one time, I think they're really good data accumulators. It's another way of saying you're learning a lot of facts. And it was, might have been a good assessment. And there's nothing wrong with that. We do need knowledge. And it wasn't a, a slander against us or a slap against us. But if all we're doing is accumulating knowledge, then we're not really building up our faith until we start exercising that knowledge. We start applying it. We start using it for other people's benefits. So that's all I want to say about faith is when you think about your spiritual faith, faith, diet and exercise.
eat right, and exercise. Exercise spiritually. So, so the question, how do we arm our family with faith? If, it's, if your faith comes by reading the word, why don't we just give a Bible to our kids, our neighbors, and say, hey, go read this and you'll get faith. Well, obviously, that's a very simplistic viewpoint. But we do have the responsibility as parents to arm our children with faith. And certainly giving them a Bible is not a bad idea, but that alone will not strengthen their faith, I would judge. Faith is not a family heirloom that can be handed down or inherited by the next generation. Now, I know there are many of you in this group here that can probably point back to your, member, to your family's membership for several generations, and that's a, that's a good thing. But you're not faithful because of something you inherited. You're faithful because you have heard the word. You obeyed the word yourself. The word influenced you to take action. So it's not an inherited thing. It's just not because of where you were born or who you were born to. They had an influence in it, but the final decision was yours. So I want to give you some practical things from my viewpoint that you can do in your family. Now, I understand many of you, your family is gone. You're empty nesters. That doesn't mean that you don't have the responsibility to influence as the occasion may come up. So primarily, I'm talking about people that still have children at home, but not entirely. So I believe the number one thing is you can do, the number one requirement that you should do takes place before you even have a family, and that is to pick the right mate. Pick someone that is going to be your helper in the Lord to raise children the way that you agree to. Now, I know that was probably the last thing on my mind when I was 22 years old and, and trying to find someone to marry, but I, you need to think about that. If you're a member of the Lord's body now, male or female, and you're actually considering spending the rest of your life with a person, ask yourself the question, or is this person going to help me, or is this person going to hold me back? It is the second most important choice that you ever make in your life is who you are going to marry. It can, I, I, it can just make you or break you spiritually. If you make a, a poor choice, your spiritual life, it doesn't mean you're going to hell, but it just means your spiritual life can be so much harder than it has to be. And the, the spiritual life is hard as it is, so we want to make it as easy as we can. So pick the right mate. Pick the one that is going to be a compliment to you. I was at a, I was at a wedding recently, and the, uh, the officiant said the husband is the head of the family, and the wife is the heart of the family. And I had never heard that before, but I mulled that over for the last two or three weeks, and that really made a lot of sense. I've always heard about the head of the, head of the family being the husband, but the wife is the heart of the family. And it bears some consider, consideration. The wife is the keeper of the home, and that is where children are going to spend a lot of their time. You want someone that's going to be the keeper of their home. So point number one is, if you're male or female, you're thinking, you're contemplating marriage, you're contemplating starting your own home, 
Make sure that someone that believes the same as you are, be not unequally yoked, I believe has application to this. The second point comes after a home is established in the environment of the home. I was talking to Andy about some of his uh, temporal work and he goes into a lot of homes and sees some things that are less than ideal. I was talking to Joe Dunn back home. And Joe, Joe used to install phones in people's houses. And he said about the same thing Andy did. He said he wouldn't believe some of the conditions that, that people live in. The other thing that you can, sometimes when you go in a home, you can actually feel the environment of home. Have you ever, I don't know if anybody's experienced, you walk into a home and you can just feel the tension. You feel like, and nobody's saying anything, but you can just feel it. Now, last night I spent a, an evening in a home that I had never been in before. But as soon as I walked in, I felt at home. And if I was ever in the area again and needed a place to sleep, I'd call Richard up and say, hey, you got a bed for me. They just made it feel so welcome. Never been there in my life before. So as you're creating the environment for your home, for your children, make it a comfortable environment. We just need to, now I know husband and wives disagree. They always will. But just because you disagree does not mean you have to be disagreeable. We need to limit our arguments. We need to liter, uh, limit our bitterness. We do not need to have any name calling between husband and wife. We need to make the house a place of encouragement, a place that children feel at home, that they don't feel scared. The home is not a place for ridicule. It's not a place for mockery. It's not a place for downgrading one another. It's a place of security for children. Create the right environment, and then that leads to building their faith up. They'll want to have a home like that. If they grow up in an environment where there's constant bickering and fighting, they're going to think, why would I want to get married? Why would I get married? I'll just move in with somebody, and if we don't get along, well, I'll just move back out. And that's what has happened to a lot of our society, just no commitment. Make your home so that when you get as old as I am and your children have left home, they still like to come home. It's kind of interesting now when kids come home, our kids come home, and they sit around and they tell me the things they remember. And uh, I have no remembrance of those things, but I, I like to hear them now. My oldest, my oldest son, some of them I don't like to hear, but my oldest son told me uh, recently, he thought I was always mad. He thought I was always mad at them because I, I didn't talk much. I was kind of quiet, I guess. And he said it took him a long time to realize that I, I wasn't mad at him. Well, I, I kind of wish he'd have told me that when he was... Ten years old, I might have tried to at least change my ways, but I, I don't think I was mad, but maybe I, I did come across like that. The idea of building a home is not a, the problem with homes is not a 21st century problem. In the book, in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6, I'm going to read a couple of verses. Verse 1 says, now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord our God commanded me to teach you. This is rules and commandments that God was teaching the children of Israel about their homes. Verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. 
And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. In other words, continually. It's a daily process. Uh, I think we had some of our best conversations when we were in the car because we had everybody confined and we could, we could, we could talk back and forth. What Create opportunities where you can talk to your children. One of our speakers said yesterday, to be aware of your children. If you're going to be a parent, you're going to have to take the attention away from yourself and give it to your children. Pay attention to what's going on. Structure your home schedule around the church meeting times. If the eldership where you, atten- where you attend has decided that you will have evening services and you'll have midweek services, schedule your home schedule around that. Don't make it a choice of, well, when Wednesday night comes, oh, we're going to go tonight or we're not going to go tonight. Now, Wade said, Wade said this yesterday. He says, uh, I'm not going to go down that road on church attendance. Well, I am going to go down that road on church attendance. We're going down that road. I just think it's so vitally important. It's not a comp- complicated thing to attend when the elders think it's the right thing to do. It's a time for like-minded people to come together to study the Word of God. So structure your schedule around what the church has to offer. Do you think the elders do that just to see if you're going to do it? Or do you think the elders do that because they're trying to feed the flock? Well, they're, they're doing it because they have the responsibility to feed the flock. If you are really interested in building up your faith, if you're really interested in building up your faith, why would, not, why would you not attend the services where the feeding is being done? And then you'd have to answer that question for yourself. And we come up with all kinds of excuses, but that's what it comes down to sometimes. When we don't attend, is because we think something else is more important. It's not, and we would never say it out loud that something's more important, but that's what we often say. Take advantages of the services that your local congregation has to be fed, to be built up. Take advantage of special meetings like this. The older I get, the more special these meetings become. And I don't know whether I'm becoming more sentimental or just more, hopefully, more grounded in the faith and realize that these are special occasions when people get together. And uh, I've received a lot of benefit from going to meetings, not only the fellowship, but the idea of, you know what, what he said, I could, I could do a little better in that area. And that's what the Christian life is about, is just getting a, getting a little better a little bit at a time. If you're a person that does attend meetings, consider taking someone with you if it's a meeting that you have to travel to. About 30 years ago, we took a little redheaded girl across Missouri out to Lawrence, Kansas to a meeting. And this, this weekend, we brought that little red-haired girl's daughter with us. A great learning experience. Fourth point, teaching in the home. What do we teach our kids in the home regarding spiritual things? And again, what I'm talking about is age-appropriate. Well, everything I mentioned would not be age-appropriate for all kids But at some point, you need to teach them these things. And this is nothing different than what they are going to hear at church services. But it is something that they need to hear probably at at church and at home. Teach them about 
doctrinal issues. Why does the Church of Christ worship like they do? Why does the congregation that you were a member of have elders and deacons instead of a preacher that does all the preaching? Why don't you have a piano, an organ, a guitar, an orchestra? Explain to them why it's different. It's not because we've always done it that way, but it comes back to we do it, we try to do it like the Bible says. Why is it wrong for a, a male and a female to live together as husband and wife without being married? Why is that wrong? It's not because we're old-fashioned. It's because the Bible says it's wrong. Why is homosexuality wrong? Well, we need to teach them what the Bible says. Use current events that happen as a discussion around the dinner table at night. Tell them what is right. Tell them what is wrong. Teach them that there is a heaven and a hell. They all, they all understand, I hope you've taught your children or are teaching your children, they are accountable for their actions. When you say don't do this and they do do this, there has to be an accountability. If not, they're, they're, they're going to lose faith in you is what you have to say. Teach them that they are accountable to God and that one day they're going to either go to heaven or they're going to go to hell. Teach them. Show them how to assist people. Te show them that not all churches are teaching the Bible. Not all churches are correct. Not every building with the Church of Christ on it is following the Bible. Tell them why you do things the way we do. Let them look at the Bible if they're age accountable and understand, yeah, I think that's right, or no, I, that's not right. And this, I think, may be one of the hardest things for parents to do is building up faith in your children, is to analyze each child that you have and understand that they are all different. They have a different slant. They learn differently. They have different interests. They have different skills. And when you identify the skills and the interests that they have, Point that skill, point that interest in a way that they can help the church and also strengthen themselves. We're not all cut out to do the same thing in the Lord's work, but there's all different kinds of work that we can all do. If a person shows talent in the music area, he's a, he's a young man, he might go into song leading at an early age. Encourage that. Build them up in the faith. If they're members of the Lord's body, at least at home, and I've seen it here also, we get them involved in the program, something that they can do. At an early age, if they're good readers and they're members of the Lord's body, let them read the scriptures. That creates ownership in them in the local congregation. Now, up to this point, mainly been on the parents, and the kids are going to like this one, so... As a parent, when you make a mistake, acknowledge your mistake. And that's tough for parents to do. Nobody likes to acknowledge a mistake. But when, when you make a mistake, just tell your kids right to their face, I messed up. I told you that, and I was just wrong. And that will probably build their faith up in you as much as it will in the things that God has. Parents do not know everything. Parents make mistakes. And when you make mistakes, just own up to them. And 
I think that will go a long way to helping children. Charles Fry made a quote at a camp out years ago, and I won't get it exactly right, but I'll get it right enough that I think you'll understand the message. He says, I don't care if my children are happy, but I do care if my children are righteous. So the takeaway from that is don't spend an inordinate amount of time making sure your children are happy. Happiness is a big bucket to fill up. And I would like all of your children to be happy, but before they were happy, I would like them to be righteous. Teach, teach children, and this is, this is a children and adult thing, teach children that they, need, that they are spiritual beings. Life is more than recreation, leisure, and pursuit of happiness. One of our speakers yesterday said being busy is good, but then they said, well, what are we busy doing? And that is a real good point. What are we busy doing? One of the hardest things for adults, so it's got to be even harder for children to understand, is that we're temporal beings. We've got jobs to do and there's activities going on. But our main calling is spiritual. So remind your children. Give them a chance to grow spiritually. We're always going to be temporal. We're always going to be spiritual. Help, help them balance that out. In past generations, Christians have been endured periods of persecution. At least in my lifetime, I think the greatest persecution that uh, my generation and maybe the next generation is the lack of persecution. Our abundant lifestyle does not lend itself to building faith in God. It lends itself to building faith in things and happiness and having fun. So we need to caution our children on the abundances that we have. I want to read 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 15 and 17. This is the teaching of Scripture in our family, and it tells us what Scripture is able to accomplish. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So let me put those in little short phrases that are maybe easier to understand. The Word of God is able to, is, makes us wise unto salvation. So it's the Word of God that builds our faith up. It furnishes us with all good works. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. We got time for a Morris story here? Yeah, we got time for a Morris story. So Mark Morris, four boys, two of them here. And I've heard this story, and there's always some. So two of the, at least two of the boys are getting corrected by their father. And I'm sure it wasn't Jeremy and Joel since they're here, so maybe it was. <laughs> we'll say it was Ben and Tad. I don't know who it was. I don't know that I know who it was. And he, Mark was correcting them, and he said, uh, referred to God in that correction, something about they had done wrong, and one of those Morris boys, being the intellect that they are and were, said, why does everything always come back to God? Do you remember what he said, Jeremy? Or do you remember? Yeah. Good answer. 
Mark's answer was, the reason it always comes back to God, because everything comes back to God. And I, I think Mark told that story, and I thought that was very appropriate. As, you're, as, you're deal, as we're dealing with our children, it's not just you. Inform them what you're doing or what you've done has violated God's rules. And you're, as a parent, we're just trying to make you understand that. Psalms 127, verses 3, 4, and 5. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blesses a man who fills his quiver with them. Our job as a parent is to point our children in the correct way. Provide them with the shield of faith. Wade used the verse in Thessalonians that it says the breastplate of faith. We provide them with that. And if they are the arrow and we're the archer, we point them in the right way. But there becomes a point in life where you, you let go of the arrow. And the arrow flies towards the target. Sometimes arrows have outside influences. Hopefully the the way that you have released the arrow and the way that you have aimed it makes it go straight to the target. But you have no guarantee. But you do have the responsibility to arm them and point them in the, in the correct direction. When, it, when we look at families that are represented here, we're a mixed bag of families. Some of us, are, our quivers are empty because we've already let them fly. Some of us, our quivers are empty because they haven't started putting arrows in it. Some of you have some quivers and expecting more quiver, or have one quiver with some arrows and expecting more arrows. Think about that. If you have children, they're like arrows and you need to point them to the target. Thank you for your good attention.